Welcome to the West Side Audio Message Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. And if you're looking for more ways to connect with West Side Assembly of God, feel free to check us out at www.westsideag.org. You'll find all the information about our service times, upcoming events, and opportunities for you to plug in and get connected with West Side Assembly of God. Additionally, you'll find a complete online archive of all of the previous and current messages absolutely free of charge. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message, and thanks again for downloading the West Side Audio Message Podcast. I preach this today with some reservations. I don't want to give the impression when I'm going to preach to you about dreaming dreams that I'm encouraging people to just to dream big and, in the process, write your own meal ticket. A little too new agey for me. Uh, I don't want to sound like I'm peddling some generic version of this positive mental attitude. Even though having a positive mental attitude is infinitely better than having doubt and fear and discouragement by a positive mental attitude, it gets kind of out of hand. You know how the fringe people always take anything and they just take it overboard? And it ruins everything for us. And I don't want to get over into that fringe. I, I don't want to sound like I'm wasting precious time that you have allotted me today. Just to get you to believe in yourself. You could stay at home and heard plenty of those sermons on television. I don't want to end up just pumping you up with snappy little slogans like, if you believe it, you can achieve it. That's not what I'm here for today. And Norman Vincent Peale, back in 1952, wrote a book that survived decades, The Power of Positive Thinking. And I'm not here to promote that book or his concepts. It was kind of a man-centered thing. But I, you know, as much as I'm not here to teach you to tap into the power of your inner self or just dream big or, or chase rainbows, and, and I don't want to... You know, I have no intention to try to inspire you with some rousing rendition of the impossible dream where I try to get you to right unrightable wrongs and beat unbeatable foes, bear unbearable sorrows, and reach that unreachable star. Because I don't think there's any spiritual benefit to trying to get you to achieve meaningless things like that. But what I do want to talk to you about based on the story of Joseph, 37th chapter of Genesis. I didn't put any scripture on the screen today. It's, it, the story's too big. I'm going to have to trust that you know the story of Joseph so you can track with me, okay? But if you don't know it and you want to go read the 37th chapter of Genesis, 38th chapter of Genesis, and see this outstanding, mesmerizing story of Joseph, then certainly you are welcome to do that. But let's Let's just pick out some of the highlights of this story. And one of the famous things about Joseph is we know uh, he had some dreams that didn't set well with his family, and that kind of got him in trouble. And based on the, the flow of this story, I would say that the first thing I want to, to present to you is there are people who are dreamers. And before I go any farther with that, I want to define the different kinds of dreams, and I'm not going to be exhaustive in this list. I just want to list probably three different kinds of dreams that we have so we can get it straight in our mind what I am focusing on today. Uh, first, there's dreams that are fantasy. 
And we've probably all gone there at some point in our life. I don't know we ever outgrow that. We watch uh, movies that we get caught up in the fantasy world. It's fun to watch little kids that play in their fantasy world. Sometimes they they uh, develop invisible friends. How many of you parents ever had a child that had an invisible friend? Yeah. Some of you did. Our youngest son had an invisible friend. can't remember what his name was. The invisible dog was named Nathan. I don't remember the invisible friend's name. He went, he did that for a little while. Fantasies. Uh, We sometimes, some of us dream about having superpowers. I think about that sometimes, even at this age. Yeah. I never was a great athlete, but, you know, I, I dreamed that if I was a basketball player, what if I could just jump higher than anybody else, 20 feet if I wanted to, and everybody would want me on their team. Football. What if, what if I had the ability to be able to move from point A to point B like in just a split second? Just, I only had so many to use in my lifetime, but if, if I get 10 of them, I could use 10 of them anytime I wanted to. So I become this football hero because I catch the ball on my uh, one-yard line, and I blink my eyes, and I'm across the line. And I go, there you go. And everybody wants me. Fantasy world, you know? Because none of them wanted me otherwise. Young ladies dream of the fairy tale prince that they wish would come riding up on the white stallion and sweep them away to his fairy tale castle and they live happily ever after. We have all these fantasies. And there was a movie that was a favorite of mine when I was growing up, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty with Danny Kay, the man that couldn't keep his focus on real life for very long. No matter what he got involved in, his mind drifted into where he was the hero of some plot somewhere, whether it was a doctor that was performing uh, a surgery. uh, He was a brilliant doctor that did what nobody else could do, and the world applauded him. Or he was a a captain on a boat, and he saw them through. He always saw himself as the hero in these impossible situations because we do this fantasy thing. And in the story of Joseph, he had a dream. He had older brothers that picked on him. And I don't know, it would be a stretch to believe that Joseph had fantasies. One of these days, I'm going to grow up, and when I am, I'm going to come back and beat every one of you up for the days you picked on me. And he had these, these strange dreams. And the first time he had this dream, he, was, he said uh, to his brothers, as he shared it with them, he said, you know, I had the strangest dream last night. We were all out in the field, and we were binding our sheaves. And you guys had your sheaves, and I had my sheaves. And all of a sudden, my sheaf rose up above your sheaves. And your sheaf came running across there and knelt down and bowed to my sheaf. And, of course, he was just irritating his brothers who already thought he was uh, an intolerable pest. And they were insulted. Who do you think you are? 
do, do you believe in dreams? You think, because they, they understood the interpretation. It was very clear to them. That culture was really big on dreams, ancient Near East culture. So they got angry with Joseph. Do you, do you think you're going to rule over us someday? And that, that only worsened matters. They were already angry with him because out of all the brothers, uh, Joseph is the one that Jacob made this beautiful coat of many colors and gave it to him. It distinguished him. And so even though he was a pesky little brother, he gets spoiled and they don't like him. Then he has this dream, and they sure don't like him. Then he has another dream. And this time, uh, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars are bowing down to him. And he tells it not only to his brothers, but he tells it to his father. And his father is tolerant of the first dream because it's just sibling rivalry. They're fussing all the time anyway. Don't worry about it. But now Joseph tells this, and and Jacob understands the dream to imply that the other brothers and the mother and the father are all going to be bowing down to Joseph. And Jacob says, uh, now you've gone far enough. It's kind of like when your child has the invisible friend and you tolerate it until they go too far and they want an extra plate of food for their invisible friend. You say, okay, we're going too far now. This is ridiculous. And Jacob had reached that threshold he says, that's enough of the dream junk. You think, I'm going to bow down to you. Your mother's going to bow down to you. Knock it off. But the Bible says, if you read the story, immediately after Jacob had rebuked him, it says, but he kept this in mind. He thought about it. He wasn't going to let it go. Hmm. Because as I said, they were very uh, entranced with dreams, very uh, interested in what dreams were and what they meant. We know the fulfillment of that dream is that in the unfolding of the story, Joseph's brothers have had all they can stand. They plot to sell him to the Egyptians and smear his coat with animal blood and go back and tell the father, uh, well, as it happens, an animal got a hold of Joseph and all we got left is his coat. Here it is. How they could do that with a straight face, nobody knows. Jacob is distraught. He feels like he's lost his, his lovely son, Joseph. And Joseph gets sold into Egyptian bondage, and that's where the story goes. Until, of course, someday, when the famine hits the entire land, and Egypt prepared for the coming famine because Joseph had the wisdom to store up grain, that Joseph was able to then, with the Pharaoh's permission, invite his family into Egypt to survive the famine. And the, the whole thing plays out with some back and forth of the brothers coming and not recognizing Joseph, and Joseph playing games with them, little... Uh, identity hide-and-seek, if you will. And eventually come to the point where, where they do move in uh, to the land of Egypt and Joseph is ruling over them. And that's the fulfillment of the whole dream. God gave a dream to Joseph. How much, how much of that dream was a fantasy? Well, probably uh, Joseph did think of some time when he could have the upper hand. But it really had nothing to do with the fulfillment of that. 
that was a fantasy, and, and it was really meaningless. And our fantasies are basically meaningless, except they give us some escape. Then there's dreams that are personal aspirations. And you want to pay attention to this point because there's something in this that I think is a great takeaway for everyone here today. And let me just tip my hand before I gradually work into it that aspiration dreams are dreams that ultimately we will have to work hard to see fulfilled. It's not that, that God promised it and it's going to happen. It's that we want to see this happen. And aspiration dreams, if I want to give it a biblical phrase, this is one you'll want to underline or circle on your paper or just mentally underscore or bury in your heart. And that is, I would call it the work of your hands. Do you recognize that as a biblical phrase? The work of your hands. How much of the work of your hands does God bless? We have biblical proof that there are times when God blesses the work of your hands. And we have biblical proof of times when God curses the work of your hands. If you're doing something because you want it to bring honor to God, and it's a good thing, and it's a reasonable thing, I mean, you can get over into fantasy there that just it's not going to work. Like you might say, I think it would be bring glory to the Lord if I were to get up and announce to everybody that we're going to go down to the hospital and have a healing service and heal everybody and get the whole community whipped up about it and the tam- television cameras are there. And you go in, you start praying for the sick, but not everybody gets healed. You were in fantasy land. It was noble. You think it would have brought glory to the Lord, but it wasn't workable, see? But there are things that are the works of your hands that God will bless. And I want you to, to uh, think about the 28th chapter of Deuteronomy. I will not read the entire chapter because it's very tedious to read. It's very repetitive. But I'm going to read the first part of it because this is the part of Deuteronomy where God is promising Israel that he's going to bless the work of their hands, and it's all contingent on something. It's contingent on their relationship and obedience to the Lord. See, your relationship with the Lord has everything to do with whether your dream and the work of your hands is going to work. So let me read in Deuteronomy 28. It says, If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands, I give you today the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. You've got the if, the condition, and you've got the promise. And then verse 2 says, All these blessings will come to you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You'll be blessed when you come in. You'll be blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you and they will come at you from one direction but flee from you in seven directions. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to do. Blessing the work of your hands if you're in right relationship with God. Now, I know the context of this. Let's keep it in context. This is a promise of God to the children of Israel. 
And we cannot take every promise in the Old Testament that is given under specific circumstances and to specific people and say, that's mine. But we can understand the nature of God, and we can understand the principles of God from this. And the principles of God are this, that you obey God, you love him, and you trust him, and that gives him the opportunity to bless the work of your hands if the work of your hands is a, a good work. So all of these things, given that everything is in order, it's like the Scripture uh, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. We know the limitations of that scripture, don't we? I can do all things, but it doesn't mean all things because we know that it has to be something that would honor God, something that is decent and right and holy. And I say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me doesn't mean I can go out and lift up a car this morning just because there's a scripture that says all things. We understand the limitations of that. So we understand the limitations of God blessing the work of our hands. But he said, if you're in the right relationship with me and you're doing good works, I will bless all that your hand will do. And the Lord God will bless you in the land he is giving. Now, if, if you want to read the rest of this chapter, you'll see all these things reversed. That's the reason I said it's a little cumbersome. It's a little wordy. And he warns them in the 20th, uh, 19th verse, however... If you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. The Lord will send curses on you, confusion and rebuke in everything you put your hand to do. So the work of your hands can be blessed by God or can be cursed by God until you are destroyed and come to sudden ruin because of the evil you have done in forsaking him. So the second kind of dream we have is, I want to do something for God. I mean, that's the good kind of dream we can have. God didn't tell you to do it. You just want to do it. And it's important to grasp this concept. Sometimes we have a dream to do something honorable before God. God did not definitely speak to us in a dream or command us specifically for this project. We just want to do something good and honorable to bless others and to bless God. And these are the kinds of things that God can bless. You have to keep that in mind because we Pentecostals have such a tendency to spiritualize everything. We are the world's worst group of people to go around saying, God told me something. And it's so misleading so many times because it's oftentimes so very subjective. We feel like what we're doing is something that God wants us to do. We think in our spirit we didn't hear a voice. We didn't get a letter or a phone call from God. But we think he told us to do something. So we go about saying, God told me, God told me, God told me. And of course, the, you don't want to become cynical. But given the record of the number of times things don't work that God told us to do, we have to be a, a little bit hesitant. How many things did God tell us or how many did things did we want to do because we thought it'd be a good thing under the Lord? And we hide behind God told me because we know people are afraid to touch that. We just finished a capital campaign. We did something unto the Lord. The board led the way to bring this people through this campaign. I don't know that anybody on the board is going to say, God told us to do this. But we felt like this was a thing that would bring glory and honor to the Lord. It would bring dignity to his, dignity to his work here. And we moved 
out of respect to doing something good for the kingdom and good for the body of Christ so we could become a more effective church in this community. It was the work of your hands that we did this. And you participated in that. You made ambitious pledges to help make things happen. And I don't know that every person who made a pledge heard a direct command from the Lord on what they should give. I don't know that all of them didn't, but I don't know that everybody did. I will tell you for a fact, I'm one person that did not hear from the Lord on what to give. I heard from my wife. I picked a number. I was happy with the number. I said, dear, we're going to do this. And she says, I want to increase that. And we increased it by several thousand dollars because the wife said so. But it was good. We did it unto the Lord. It was the work of our hands unto the Lord. Now, that would have been a good time for me to get stubborn and say, but God told me. We cannot give a penny more. God has already given me instruction, dear, but we went with the work of our hands. And one of the most important lessons we want to learn from this kind of a dream, the work of our hands, is you don't have to wait for God to tell you to do something to do something. Now, I'm smart enough as a pastor, I already have that figured out. And when I ask you to do something and you tell me I'm going to pray about it and see if the Lord wants me to, I'm way ahead of you. I might not say anything, but I'm just going to wait until you figure it out that you don't have to have a command from the Lord to do something good for God. All you have to do is just be willing. You might be wiser if I ask you to say, I can't do that right now. It's not in the place to be able to do that. I can understand that. The second kind of dream is the work of your hands. And if you want to do something for the kingdom of God... It's never going to happen if you just fantasize about it. It's never going to happen if you're going to wait until God speaks to you and tells you you have to. But if you want to do something that impacts the kingdom, that lasts for eternity and put your hand to it, it's going to cost you everything. It's, you're going to be devoted to that. You're going, not going to give days. You're not going to give weeks to a dream. You're, not going, to give, you're going to give your life to a dream. you want to do something for God you've got to dream it and you've got to execute it the third kind of a dream is the kind that God gives I don't know I have a lot of that I don't know a lot of us can identify with that God gave Joseph a dream in spite of the fact he might have had some fantasy ambitions God gave Joseph a dream he gave him two dreams and all Joseph had to do is stay faithful to God in order for these dreams to be fulfilled. Now that's the catch. God can give you a dream. I heard when I came here somebody talked about prophecies over this church. But you can't just sit there and wait till the prophecy comes. If God has given a promise, you've got to be faithful like Joseph was faithful. If you want to see that dream fulfilled in your life. 
The second major point we have is there are dream wreckers, and that kind of gets you to the point in the story where I am now. I suspect that dream wreckers are bitter people. (laughs) I think they're people that maybe have never had a dream, and they're jealous. Or they're people that had dreams and never acted on them, and never seen anything come to pass in their life. They've abandoned every dream they ever had. As a group, they are composed of unbelievers and underachievers. They're dream wreckers. Just like Joseph's brothers. And there are circumstances that are dream wreckers. So if you have a dream, I don't care if it's to the work of your hands or a dream God has given you. I don't care if it's a project like we got together and said, let's just get together and do something for the kingdom of God, like the capital campaign. Or if it's a word from the Lord, like some of you have said, that God gave a prophecy over this church. It still requires that we stay faithful to God. It still requires that we as a church hold on to the promises of God. That we keep ourselves alive in our heart. By saying, there's a plan. We have a dream. If we don't see a vision any farther than just my dream is to make it to church next Sunday, we're dead where we are. But if we have a dream, and I've got to ask you, people, I'm looking around at you. What is your dream? Not only for your life, to glorify God and to help your fellow man and to do good things, but what's your dream for the church you're sitting in here today? Maybe you don't have any dreams. Maybe you have all doubts and fears. I don't know. Maybe y'all have, maybe some of you have nothing but complaints. Well, where's my dreamers? I want to know where the dreamers are. I'm not saying there aren't any, are not any. I'm saying, what is your dream? Do you have a passion for your church? Do you have a passion for the kingdom? I see a lot of things in this world that are wrong that I want to fix, but I can't fix them all. They're just too big. They're too distant. I can't do it. But what I can do is have a dream for my church that can take care of my little corner of the world. I can shine the light here. I can reach the people here. I can be effective in my part of the field. I can do that. I have a dream. I have a dream of God bringing a robustness and a livelihood to Westside. I can see the muscle. I can see the sinew. I can see the skin forming. I can see the bones. I can hear them rattling. I see things beginning to happen. I can see the diaphragm beginning to pull the air in and push the air out. I can see the army starting to stir itself and stand on its feet. I have a dream that there's a church that's not going to die. I have a dream that the church is going to stand up like a mighty army. I have a dream for a church that is going to do things we never thought it was was possible for us to do because all the money went somewhere else. I don't need that money. I need a dream and I need God. And I need other people who are dreamers too. Dreaming keeps you alive. You'll be faced with people if you have a dream. The own work of your hands or the promise that God gave you. You're going to have people that are going to oppose and you're going to have that circumstances that are going to make it difficult. And of course, the story of Joseph illustrates this so graphically. Young Joseph has a couple of dreams and sets his family off and they, and they sell him into Egyptian bondage. And you know what they're thinking? 
so much for this dreamer. Remember that time when they saw him coming? What did they call him? <laughs> Here comes the dreamer. It was really a running joke with them. They were ridiculing this guy. Yeah, here comes the dreamer. Well, dream this, buddy. And they sold him into Egypt. Dream all you want. Your dream's dead. We finished you off. And they did not know that in their maliciousness, in their bitterness, they fell right into God's trap. And the thing they did to stop the dream was the thing that made the dream come true because my God is a big God. And he can take your enemies and he can make them your best allies if he wants to. And they don't even have to know it. God can leverage things like that. Being sold into Egypt made it possible for Joseph's dream to come true. So circumstances... Here's Joseph that has these dreams. Is he holding on to these dreams? Is he believing God? He's holding on to something. Because even when his family sells him into Egypt, he finds a way to live life. He didn't go there to die. He went there to live. He had a dream. I've got to live. I've got a dream to live out. I've got a dream to see fulfilled. So he, he began to uh, exert himself and promote himself. And became uh, so powerful in the land of Egypt as they turned all of these, these business deals over to him. You take care of it, Joseph. You manage this empire. And he was a wonderful manager. He proved himself. But obstacles keep coming his way. And that, that little pesky Potiphar's wife that tries to mess up things. Who the devil working through her and decides to use her to try and distract him and get him off course. Tries to have this affair behind her husband's back. And Joseph uh, rejects her advances and she grabs his coat and keeps it for evidence and convinces her husband that he was here. He tried to take advantage of me. Here's his coat. I want him thrown in prison. And there Joseph goes into prison. And in prison, he finds people he trusts. And the cupbearer becomes a dear friend. He interprets their dreams because th this guy, he's got this, he's got this knack for dreams. He has dreams. He understands dreams. These guys have weird dreams. They come and say, what's this dreaming? And, the, and Joseph says to the baker, so, well, your days are done. Three days from now, you're... And to the cupbearer, he says, in three days, they're going to come and get you out of here, and you'll be right back where you are, restored. And he had this, this camaraderie, this connection. So the cup, for sure, day, sure enough, three days come, and, and uh, one's dead, and one's restored. And Joseph is hoping in his heart. I hope he, sure hope he remembers me. And do you know how many times people will let you down, but God never lets you down? You know how many times you put your trust in people and say, surely this is the answer to all my problems. I have made this connection. I've got connections. And this is the way God's going to work, and God doesn't work through that, does he? I finally got the job where we're going to be able to get all of our act together, and it's not through the job at all. You finally got the friend that's going to stand beside you, except the friend doesn't stand beside you. And we get all down in the mully grubs, and we decide God doesn't love us, and nobody wants us, and nobody's standing with us, but God doesn't need that. And the cupbearer gets restored, and he forgets Joseph. He forgets him. 
he doesn't say how handy it would have been for him to say, hey, I know a guy that prophesied. Well, I was going to do this. He interpreted, he interpreted my dream and told me, and you need to go check him out. This is a good guy. You got the wrong man in prison. But he didn't do that. Joseph meeting obstacles and every opportunity and every reason to be bitter never gives up because there are dream prevailers. It wasn't until another 1950 years that Paul would put the pen to parchment and pen these words. As he wrote the Roman church, and they're in the middle, in the midst, in the heartbeat of this great theological treatise. These words come flowing from his mind through his hand. For we know that in all things, God works for the good of those that love him. Joseph didn't have that written down, but Joseph lived it. We've got it written down. Romans 8.28 is my favorite. Now, the King James Version is a little bit misleading. God works all things for the good. And that's not exactly what it's saying. It really isn't. He doesn't work all things for the good. It says in all things. That's the better translation. You'll find many of the other translations make that clarification. In all things, God works for our good. Doesn't make a difference if you're in the prison or if you're in the palace. He works for your good. And Joseph understood that concept, though it didn't take form until 2,000 years later. But he understood. In my life, Joseph knows, in my life, God's going to work good things out. In this prison, in spite of it, God's going to work something for my life. And the story of Joseph that he held on and he never grew better and he never deserted God and he never threw his faith away. He held on and he went through all of this stuff because Joseph was a prevailer. And how many of us are willing to cash our dreams in because things get tough and just give up and sit down and say, well, it was nice while we dreamed about it, but it just isn't going to happen. We quit. You'll never see your dream. Until you persevere to the very end. Whether it's a God-given dream or the work of your hands. So Joseph, even though he's framed by Potiphar's wife and sent to rotten prison, somehow he knew that in all things God works for the good of those that love him. And even though he made friends with a cupbearer who forgot him, he knew that in all things, God works for the good of those that love him. And even though his brothers sold him into Egyptian bondage, he knew somehow that in all things, God works for the good of those that love him. He just lived it. He just exemplified it. Final point is this. There is nothing, there is nobody that can wreck your dream except you. Whether it's a personal aspiration or a promise from God, you are the only one capable of destroying your dream. Dreams give us life. They keep us motivated. You wake up. You live 
for your dream. If you don't have a dream, what are you living for? Where is your incentive? What drives you forward? What motivates you? Just existence? You're motivated to exist? There is no life there. But dreams keep us focused. They give us purpose. They energize us. And I don't want you sitting around and waiting until the point that God gives you a vision or gives you a dream. Why don't you get a dream and get a life? Do something for God. If God didn't give you a dream, get one. We often talk about how big God is. And he can do anything for us. Well, it's about time we start talking about doing something for God. Where's my dreamers? Who will dream with me? Who will dream for doing great things for the kingdom? Who will dream of this work, your church? Dream about it. Because when you dream about it, you start getting inspired. You start coming up with things. You start coming up and being excited and say, Pastor, I have a dream for this church, and I think maybe we need to start doing this. And I'm going to say, you're in charge. Dream with me and start living. God is a big God. He can do anything, but what are you going to do for him? Would you bow your heads? Oh, Lord, I thank you for helping me through this sermon today. Lord, for granting me the permission to express this thought today, that we ought to be doing something for you. Not just riding the boat, but grabbing an oar. Not just criticizing the state of things as they are, but helping to make something happen and keeping our heart and our mind open and our soul open to you if you want to show a dream to us. Lord, I, I hear about these prophecies over this church. God, if you have spoken a word for this church and people here who have heard that, God, give them the strength and encouragement to hold on. Don't let anybody steal that dream. Don't let them give up in discouragement. Teach us, Lord, this lesson. As long as we keep you number one, we keep our relationship right with you, we truly can do all things through Christ the strength. Help us, Lord. Help us to be dreamers for your kingdom. Dreamers for our family. Dreamers for our home. That it glorifies you. Lord, that we have parents here today that I I pray God will have dreams for their children. 
and they'll do everything in their power to see those dreams fulfilled for their children, that they'll pray over them daily, God, use them in the kingdom. Call them in your ministry, God. Give them a burden for the lost. Make them, God, a, a pillar of the faith. Use them by Do it, Lord. Do it. Everybody look at me just a minute. I want to talk to you. I've been doing some genealogy lately. All of you know that my uncle T.E. Gannon was the district superintendent here when this church was set in order many years ago. He came to this church and set it in order. He went on from being the district superintendent into the general council at Springfield, became assistant superintendent, and then they divided up the assistant superintendents and gave them a portfolio of director of national director of home missions. Virgil and Judy were just out working on the uh, Bible Institute. Is it a college? Is it a Bible college? And there's the T.E. Gannon Hall out there. As home missions was his passion. And I traced my genealogy back a little bit. And my grandfather, Orville Gannon, was born to Columbus Gannon and Clarabel Gannon. And Orville Gannon was born in 1890. When he was two years old, his little brother was born. Lloyd Ellsworth. One year later, Orville Gannon was three years old and Lloyd Ellsworth died. 1894, little Vera Alva, little sister, was born. And Orville was four years old. 1897, Orville is seven years old and little Vera Alva dies. And he's the only child. 1897. 1899, they're in Colorado and his mother, Clarabelle, dies and him and his father escort the body back to Missouri and lay her to rest in northern Missouri in a little community of Ravana. And I looked at that. And something gripped my heart. I thought, two of the three children didn't survive, but Orville survived. So that one child, that had he died, wiped out a whole game plan from that branch. But he survived. From him came a young man that became a pastor. And another brother, another man brother that became a pastor. And they touched people. And from those people that they touched and those churches that they pastored, people got saved and they raised their families in Christianity and some of them got called into the ministry. And I became a minister springing forth from that. And people have become ministers under my ministry. And from his two other sons, David and Philip, or uh, T.E. Gannon's sons, David and Philip, they became ministers and people sprang forth. And I have cousins in the ministry today. And it all came down to one little child that if he had not survived in those hard times,
But he did because in all things God works for the good of those that love him. And the thousands, thousands of people who have been touched by a little boy who grew up to love the Lord and endure the trials of life. And before he was even married, he lost his father. But somehow he held on to God and became a deacon in his church for 40 years and read his Bible every day. Didn't make any difference who was there, what we were doing. When it came time to read the, read the Bible, he went in his closet, had a little rocking chair that fit in there, turned in the overhead light, pulled, and pulled it out, and he read his Bible because he loved the Lord. Never talked to Grandpa Gannon. Never once did I talk to him, I can promise you. But what at some point he didn't begin to talk about some other person that he knew, and he ended up by saying, and I pray for him every day because he was consumed by a dream. A dream of a world that would know Jesus Christ. All things work together. I felt so sorry for Grandpa Orville Gannon losing his siblings and losing his mother and a few years later losing his father and having nobody there when he finally married. But in all things, God works for the good of those that are from all things work together for my good. You make all things work together for my good. You make all things work together for my good. You make all things work together for my good. What are you going through this morning? It might just be the thing that's getting you to that place where the dream's going to be fulfilled. That might not be at all it is. The enemy thinks it's a distraction, thinks it's an obstacle. But you're just getting to your dream. Why don't you hold on until God brings it out in your life? Yes, sing it again. You make all things. Sing it like you mean it. All things work together for my good. You make all things work together for my good. You make all things work together for my good. You make all things work together for my good. All things work together for my One more time, you make. You make all things work together for my good. You stand the same through the ages. Your love never changes. Maybe pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. And when the ocean sinks, I don't have to be afraid. Because I know that you love me. Your love never fails. 
Buy a ticket, help. Buy a table, help. Get your friends out, help. It's going to be great. Check the literature. Let's be effective. Let's be a lighthouse for God. All right? You make all things work together for good. You make all things work together for my good. You make all things work together for my good. Oh, you make all things work together for my good. You make all things work together for my good. You stay the same to the ages. And your love never changes. There may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. And when the ocean breaks, because I know that you love me Your love never fails Your love never fails Your love never fails God, we thank you for this service. God, I pray that you would give a sense of peace and calm for those that are here that are going through trials of life. God, that you would let them know that all things work together for good. God, that you are truly in control. God, I pray that you would give us encouragement as we leave this place. We pray these things in your name. Amen.